As I was studying on this particular subject I want to talk to you about, I've been looking at it for several weeks, and I started out in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I've had that on my mind for a while, coming back to it, keeps recirculating back up in my studies. And as I approached Hebrews 11, I'm always trying to analyze the context of anything that I present to you to make sure that we understand what God is trying to tell us. And I thought, well, I need to back up into the 10th chapter a little bit to get the context of my subject this morning, which is the great hall of faith, the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And I thought the Apostle Paul jumping into the great hall of faith there in Hebrews 11 is preceded by some groundwork and foundation that he has laid in the 11th chapter and the previous chapters. So I first went for three or four verses back into chapter 10. And it was so exciting and enjoyable that I I kept realizing I need to back up a little bit further and then back up a little bit further. Every time I would come back to it, I I began to realize I'm either going to have to cut off at some point or I'm going to wind up preaching the whole chapter 10, which precedes chapter 11, the great hall of faith. And so I, I managed to somehow cut it off about verse 19 of Hebrews 10. So that's where we're going to begin this morning as we consider the great hall of faith. And I want you to think about it in these kind of terms. If chapter 11 is the great hall of faith, and if you can picture it as a a champion's hall or a trophy hall, if you will, where plaques and faces and people are up on the walls and you would walk in and observe, well, here is this particular champion and this champion and this champion. If you can imagine that as being the great hall, well, then what we're about to look at for the first few minutes is the foyer, the foyer of faith as we, uh, before we enter into the great hall of faith. We're in the foyer. Y'all know when we built this church, one of my uh, requests was that we have plenty of foyers so that we can uh, associate and assemble and fellowship. It was kind of, uh, we didn't have much of a foyer over here when we were in the small part of the building. It was sort of packed tight. We had to stay in the yard or go in the back. But we have a lot of foyers, and, and that's by design so that we can visit and mingle in fellowship. And so as we consider the great hall of faith, we want to first look at the foyer, which is what I'm calling the parts we're going to look at chapter 10. And let me just say this. This is why this is important to me, and I hope it's important to you. We need our faith understood and strengthened in times like these, don't we? We need to have a a working knowledge of what it means to have faith and to utilize our faith when we turn the television on, when we see what's going on in in the town where my office is. There was a, a, a protest and a demonstration in Carrollton, Alabama yesterday. And let me say this too. This is not a political message This is a message from the Word of God. This is a message about what God defines as right and wrong. How you can use your faith in times of turmoil, regardless of what the issue may be. Because as I said weeks ago, at that time, coronavirus was the issue. But there would be another issue right around the corner. I never dreamed it would be just a few days around the corner to see the rioting and the lawlessness and things that we see around us. We need faith. In the Lord. And we need to understand what it is. So as we walk into the foyer of faith and begin to observe and look around, I'm reminded of, we've been to Disney World several times and over in one of the little 
uh, areas where you go to Disney World, there's a there's a place where they'll, and they do this in several places, but they'll take you into a foyer and you'll watch a, a little TV screen before you go into the main attraction. Uh, and one of those that I always liked was The Muppet. Uh, it's, it's, by the way, it's been the same movie for like 40 years. I'm wondering when they're going to change The Muppet movie down there. But you'll go into the foyer, they'll have these cameras set up, and so they entertain you. They, you observe some things while you're in the foyer. And then they usher you into the theater and you sit down and you watch... The Muppets. <laughs> There's several places like that down there. But if you will go with me this morning, let's go into the foyer and let's see what we can learn. And then let's go into the Great Hall of Faith. Because it's a great hall, let me tell you. <laughs> You're going to be interested. It'll be interesting to see what we find there. Hebrews 10 and 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now this, again, it's hard to find a, a jumping off point in chapter 10, but basically the Apostle Paul has been looking at the law and talking about how Jesus is so much better than the law. He says there's a new and living way, there's a better way, and it's all about Jesus. And the reason this is important is because this precedes the great hall of faith. The object of our faith is a man, and his name is Jesus Christ. You say, well, what do I need to anchor my faith in? When I view these great heroes of faith, what, were, what was their faith, their trust, their confidence, what was it anchored in? I tell you, it was anchored in a man, and his name is Christ. It was not anchored in the law. It was not anchored in the things that the people were doing in the law. It was anchored in a man. And Paul says here, that it's a new and living way. The word new means fresh. It also alludes to the idea of something being killed, like a sacrifice. A new and living way. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, you could say it, a killed way, but a living way. Jesus was killed, he died, and then he was resurrected, you see? And by a new and living way which he hath consecrated. The word consecrated means to inaugurate. We know what it means every four years. to A new president is inaugurated. And so you understand Christ inaugurated something new and something different than what the law had to offer. The law was a shadow. Now, I said we're going to start at verse 19, but I'm cheating a little bit here. And I'm going to, dig, I'm going to reach back over and grab a few little things that even happened before verse 19. So in essence, we may cover the whole chapter. But if you'll notice in Hebrews 10 and around verse 1, he says the law was a shadow of good things to come. Not the very image of the things. The other day, uh, Brother Cale came and shadowed Brother John Morgan and myself at the office. We were talking about that at home, and, and Lila said, what does that mean? And I said, well, you know what your shadow is. It's that what follows you around whenever the sun is shining and it's pointing in a particular direction. And I said, Brother Cale, he was there to shadow us and follow us around and see what we do. So if you think about that in terms of the law, the law was a shadow. It followed Jesus around. It, it was a reflection of Jesus, if you will. And you cannot normally discern what the actual object is unless you have it defined for you. You might not be able to discern from the shadow what the object is, you see? If you've ever uh, been able to cast a, sh a large shadow, I can get back away from of the house a few times We've had a light shining on the house, and I can make a big, scary-looking form, and this, this huge thing will 
uh, shadow will portray on the side of the house and it looks like I'm this gigantic thing with hands raised up, but I'm just me. It's just me. You know, it's just a shadow that is portrayed. You cannot always tell the object of the shadow. You see, Jesus was the object that cast the shadow. The law was just a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things, which now watch this language. This is what I want to hit very quickly. The law can never with the sacrifices take away sins. It was not possible for keeping the law It was not possible for those sacrifices to take away sin. Verses, you read on over in here, it says that Jesus has forever taken away sins. You see how the object of the shadow, Jesus, was so much better than the law because the the law could never take away sins, but Jesus forever took away sins. Now, if you look on down in verse 2, he says, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. You see, the sacrifices under the law reminded them of what they had done and how they had transgressed. And Jesus is so much better than that, because what does he say elsewhere? He says, Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. You see, in Christ, we have no more remembrance of sins. God's not holding your sins against you. It does not mean, child of God, that you're not going to get a little chastisement here and there or be whipped, if you will, by the Lord for doing wrong. But the Lord, when it comes to eternity, He never looks on you and holds your sins against you because of the work of Christ. It also says in verse 4, "...for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins." You see, it was not possible for for that blood to take away one single sin, and yet we read that Jesus' blood has taken away all the sins of His people. You see how much better Jesus is? See how much better the object is than the shadow? Now you come on down in verse 5, He says, Wherefore, when He, Jesus, cometh into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body Thou hast prepared for me. You see, he, God would not have the sacrifice and the offering anymore, but He would have the body of Jesus Christ. The whole point of st- spending a little time in this foyer is so that we can see what the focus of our faith is. And it is the body of Jesus Christ. The Lord said, I will not have sacrificing and offering anymore, but I am sending my Son, and His body is the sacrifice and the offering. You see... Read on down and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Thou hast had no pleasure. And yet in Isaiah 53, it says the pleasure of the Lord has prospered in his hand. Y'all remember that? You see how Jesus is so much better. It says there that uh, sacrifices can never take away sins versus Jesus forever taking them away. He says there was a remembrance in the sacrifices of the law. And yet Jesus, because of his sacrifice, I will remember your sins no more. He says it's not possible for your sins to be taken away by the blood of those animals. And yet Jesus' blood, it says a one-time sacrifice, verse 12. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. You see, that one-time sacrifice was enough to please the Lord. The Lord says, I will have no pleasure anymore in, in sacrifices and offerings. But I will have pleasure in the body of my son because his body is a sufficient sacrifice. Verse 15 says, wherefore the Holy Ghost is a witness to us. Now that's, that's important. Here's why. Because when we deal with faith and the definition of faith in Hebrews 11, it says it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
What must you have in order for you to believe any kind of evidence whatsoever? If you ever are on a jury, and we'll talk about this some more in a minute because I've been in situations where I was in front of juries many times putting evidence on in front of juries. And evidence doesn't just float in the courtroom. You have to call what to put on evidence? A witness. And what comes out of the mouth of that witness is evidence that the jurors and the judge always instructs them in that. That what they say is evidence that you can weigh. So if I say the sky was, was dark on that particular day, if I'm a witness, then the jury can take that in and say, okay, this is evidence. It's a witness telling us what happened. And the Holy Ghost, which by the way is something that you can't see, the, evidence of th- uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, you can't see the Holy Ghost, but it is a witness to you. And the Holy Ghost has written in your heart that it's not possible for you to make an acceptable sacrifice to take away your sins. It's not possible for you to ever personally forget all the sins that you have committed against the Holy God. But it is possible and it is done by Jesus Christ, you see? That's that still small voice in you that whispers to you when you condemn yourself and say, I'm not worthy. The still small voice says, That's right, but Jesus is worthy. You see that? This is faith, child of God. Somebody says, I'm not capable, I'm not worthy. Amen and amen, because Christ is worthy. Christ is capable. That's what the Holy Ghost tells you in your heart. Now this ties in directly to your faith. The witness of the Holy Ghost, and we read, Having therefore, brethren, verse 19, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated, remember, through, uh, for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. His flesh is the veil through which we have a new and living way inaugurated that we may be able to enjoy what God has given us and trust in what God has said to us. And it goes on and says, that we have a high priest over the house of God. Now watch verse 22 because this ties in directly to your faith. In faith, because we have a high priest, let us draw near with a true assurance. Uh, excuse me. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. You see that how this ties into the great hall of faith. This is the groundwork the apostle Paul is laying. Think about it. In faith, drawing near to Christ. Now watch Uh, Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our, what? Our faith without wavering. In faith, holding fast the profession that we have made where we once said, and hopefully again and again, I believe that Jesus is my way. He is the new and living way. He is that which has inaugurated what we have. You see? He says, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Now watch the verse in parentheses. For he is faithful that promised. Isn't that great? (laughs) You see, a lot of people have faith in their faith. Well, I'm trusting in my faith so that the Lord will deliver me, so that I can trust in the Lord. We don't want faith in our faith. We want to have faith in the one who is faithful that promised. In verse 24, let us consider one another in faith. You see how this ties into us together? Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That's in faith that we do that. Let's go on down. We're going to, I could say a lot about Verses 25 and on down. But let's skip on down to 
verse 32, where we see Paul says, But call to remembrance the former days in which, after you were eliminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions, partly while she were made a gazing stop, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while she became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves, knowing in yourselves, that ye have an, in heaven a better and an enduring substance. You see... Paul says, in faith, remembering how God has delivered you in the past. It's a good thing to go back and think about ways that God has delivered you in your own life in the past. It's obviously, we think about how God has delivered us from our sins from the cross. In the resurrection, He's completely delivered us from our sins. But you all, if you've lived long enough, you've had situations where God has delivered you and He has seen you through some tough times. That's what Paul says, in faith, remembering those times. Because it builds, it helps build your faith. If you are delivered at this point in your life and another trial comes along later in your life, you can look back and say, I remember how God delivered me that time and I'm trusting in Him to deliver me this time. See? And notice he says, the foundation of that is knowing that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. You see, these people had allowed their own goods to be sold and spoiled, as Paul put it, to go and, and help Paul because he was in, bad, in a bad situation. They sold some of their goods and gave to Paul to help him out of a bad situation. And Paul said the basis for why you did that is because you knew in heaven you've got a better and a more enduring substance. I want you to think about that for a minute because that ties into Hebrews 11 where it says, through, uh, it says, now faith is the substance. It's the same word. In heaven, you have a better and more enduring substance. And Paul says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now think about this. I was thinking about gold. That's an amazing substance, isn't it? I don't really know. I've seen some things maybe that were gold-plated, but you know, I, and I've seen in some documentaries and where you would see a gold bar, but I've never, never really had a whole lot of exposure to gold. But that is some kind of substance, is it not? You know, God created gold. <laughs> That's an amazing substance. I'd like to have some, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, if somebody wanted to give me some gold, I'd be happy to take it, or some silver. But think about this. Gold is merely the material for the paving crew in heaven. Y'all hear me? The streets in heaven are laid with gold. It's, it's, it's material that y'all go down the road and you see all the road work going on and they're putting this, this stuff in there that they lay down on the road, you know, so that we can ride on the road more smoothly. In heaven, gold is just for the paving crew. That's what they put on the, on the streets. Can you imagine what's in the houses <laughs> and what the houses are made out of? If gold is probably the most precious substance on this planet and gold is what they use to pave the streets of heaven with, can you imagine what a better substance is up there? I can tell you what that substance is. It is the body of Jesus Christ. That's what the substance is. And Paul says, cast not away your confidence. Faith will never direct you to cast away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. That's verse 35. He says, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. What is this promise? A lot of people think, well, this is talking about my rewards in heaven. That all these wonderful rewards and accolades that I'm going to get for being such a good boy and, a good, and such good boys and, little girl, and good little girls. Let me tell you what the reward in heaven is. It's not getting more crowns in your crown. As we see in Revelation, the ones who have crowns are casting them at the feet of Jesus. If there is a crown there, see? The reward in heaven... It's Christ Himself. 
That's the reward. And not only that, if you need a little sub reward to go, subcategory to go with it, the reward in heaven is not burning in hell. <laughs> That's a pretty good reward right there, is it not? I don't have to pay for my sins in the lake of fire. I get to be with the Lord. See, the reward is Christ. And if you learn more about Christ as you go along your Christian journey and you focus on what he is and how his substance is more enduring and better than anything the law could offer, anything that man could offer, anything that anybody could offer. If you make that your life pursuit, he will just go grow sweeter and sweeter for you as you go along until one day you'll take that last breath and you'll breathe in eternal ethereal air. You'll see his face. And it will be the most amazing revelation you've ever had. (laughs) No matter how hard you pursue Him, no matter how hard you have to try to see Him, it's still going to be the most amazing revelation that's ever occurred when you see His face. Paul says, you have need of patience. He says in verse 37, here's the promise, by the way. Paul says that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. You see, the promise is he's coming. He's coming. Why? How can I endure all of these tests of my faith and these afflictions and trials? It's because he's coming. I've told you all this before. I've, I've been prosecuting in juvenile court for more years than I even care to remember. I, that was by choice. I requested to prosecute in juvenile court. Because I, that's one of my desires is to try to work with young people. And I've come across some of the most horrible circumstances. In our little old county over here, it's not big Tuscaloosa County, big Jefferson County, you know, where they have so, many, so much volume of different things. And even in our little old county over here, I've come across some situations that were so pathetic and so pitiful that just made me hang my head and just think. And I would say, oh, Lord, Lord, what is the answer here? How does, this, how does this ever get resolved? And you know what I come back to? Without exception, when I come across those situations, I come back to, oh, Lord, when you come, this is all going to be settled. This child's life might be ruined by that child's bad decision or their parents' bad decision or some circumstance that came upon. It may be destroyed, but, Lord, when you come back, you're going to set it right. And I'm not saying that in a vengeful way, like, oh, Lord, smash them. I don't mean that. I'm talking about in love coming and relieving his children. Won't that be great? If you get caught up into the things that you see going on today, like we all do, and you just, it just rends your heart, it tears your heart, just remember, Paul said that faith, the way to get through that is to remember that the Lord is coming and He will not tarry. He's coming to get His children. Paul says, now the just shall live by faith. That's a quote from Habakkuk 2. I'd love to go off on a rabbit trail, but I'm not going to. But Habakkuk 2 was one of the most... Difficult and terrible times. The book of Habakkuk was a terrible time in the, in the nation of Israel and of Judah. He says, the just shall live by faith. Y- y'all see how many times faith is occurring here in chapter 10? Now he's leading us into the great hall of faith. It's about faith. It's about uh, being able to be, have your faith like an anchor in your life. Now, let me say this as we close out chapter 10. Now, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, you see, faith won't cause you to draw back. My soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And there you go. There's belief right there. I know some of you were wondering when that was going to come up. The, Lord, the, the Apostle Paul says that faith tells you and, and encourages your belief, and it's belief to the saving of the soul. Now, a word about belief. The word belief comes from an old English word. The root word was leaf, L-I-E-F. 
It's an old English word. And the word leaf, it basically means to hold, to hold something. And then when you put be with it, be, belief, that is an intensifier. And when you get belief, it means to hold dear. Now that makes a big difference for me when I read the word belief, if I think about that. Because today, in our modern day, belief is sort of like an intellectual assent. Oh yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I believe that. No, this is not just, oh yeah, yeah. You know, when I think of my wife, I don't just say, oh yeah, yeah, I love her. Yeah, yeah, I love her. It's an intellectual assent. Yeah, I love my wife. Yeah, I got that checklist. I got it marked. No, when I say I love my wife, I hold her dear. (laughs) You see? And that's what belief is. It's not just an intellectual assent to an opinion. Yeah, my opinion is this is the way that it is. No, belief is to hold dear. You may say, well, what are we holding dear? We're holding Christ dear. Is He dear to you? Is He what holds you in the night when everybody else is asleep? And maybe you left the TV on too long and you saw too much on the Fox News or CNN or whatever. Is He holding you when the knock comes at the door to wake you out of night or the phone call comes and the tragedy is upon you? Whether you realize it or not, He is holding you. The question is, are we holding him dear ourselves? Faith is not drawing back. Faith is believing to the saving of the soul. And you know, this establishes several questions that we could ask. You might say, I hate to say checklist because I don't like checklists, but we can ask ourselves the question, am I holding him dear? Am I drawing near? Am I provoking my fellow brothers and sisters to love? Those are all actions of faith, you see? Let me ask you this. Am I believing the truth? He says clearly, plainly in the Scripture that my salvation is not based upon what I do or what I think or what I say. Faith says I'm believing the truth that He has saved me. He has performed the work. He has done that. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, he says in the Chronicles of Narnia towards the end, as they're pressing into Narnia... (laughs) At the end there, he says, let's go farther up and further in. So we've spent some time out here in the foyer for the remaining time. Let's let's go farther up and further in to the great hall of faith. You see how these ties together. Sometimes the chapter breaks kind of throw us off. But you see how these tie together. Hebrews 10 is all about laying the foundation of who the object of our faith is. And the object of our faith is who? It's Christ. It's his work. It's his accomplishment. See? Now he says in chapter 1. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 11, he says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Sometimes those definitions, we just kind of brush over them. But as we think about it like this, as we come into the great hall of faith, there's a plaque over the great hall. And it says faith. And it defines faith. It says the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. As you enter this hall, as you press into the great hall of faith, and you see these heroes of faith, that is what you keep in mind. That faith is what this hall is all about. Faith in what? Faith in Christ. You see? It's all about Christ. It's not necessarily about the great works that these men and women have done here in the great hall of faith. It is about how they were able to do them and what the object was to them that that caused them to press onward. You see? And it's Christ. So as you go into the great hall, the plaque over the, over the entryway is faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I could say in parenthesis underneath that, there would be a word, Christ. 
Christ. Now, it says, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Substance there, where he says the substance of things hoped for, substance means the underpinning or the foundation. The foundation of your belief is Christ. Now listen, it also says the evidence of things not seen. If you have a hard time with that, as I mentioned a moment ago, just think about a jury. I've tried several cases in front of a jury, and there's not a single time that we had a time machine. Y'all understand that? And we could go back in time. That would be so easy to be... I don't think we'd need courts anymore, would we? If you had a time machine and you could just go back in time and replay what happened, it would be a no-brainer. Because some smart aleck lawyer would probably come up with a way to argue around it, wouldn't they? <laughs> I can talk about my own, you know. Uh, so we don't have a time machine. And nine times out of ten, we don't have a video. Now, if we do have a video, let me tell you, if there's a video of what happened, we won't be in front of a jury. <laughs> It'll be settled already. But most of the time, there's not a, a, a video. So what do we do? We go and we put on evidence. We call a witness. And we have these little uh, things that are in bags that have been sealed and marked. You see, that jury has never actually seen exactly what happened. So how in the world can they take that in and reach a decision? Well, some it takes longer than others, no doubt. But you see, you get my point. That's the, they get the evidence. And when it comes to our faith, imagine yourself as the juror. And you have the evidence that's laid before you. Evidence of the Holy Ghost within you that says and whispers and tells you what the truth is. Evidence of the Word of God that's laid before you that confirms what the Holy Ghost within you says. And you've got at least two evidences right there in front of you. And it's, that makes it a lot easier to have that foundation. See? So evidence is just proof. Now, we enter the great hall of faith and who do we find? This is amazing to me. I know some of you are thinking, oh, the first one we're going to see is Abel. Well, I hate to tell you, you're wrong. <laughs> this, is, this is something. The first person that we see as we walk into the great hall of faith, guess who it is? It's you. It's you. You say, what? I didn't know I was in there. You are in there if. <laughs> There's a condition here. He says in verse 3, through faith... We, that's you, that's me, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. You are in the great hall of faith. You're the first picture there. If you believe by faith, which is in Christ, in the creation. That's something, isn't it? You see, this is more than an academic argument that biologists, the Christian biologists and secular biologists debate and question. He is literally saying that, listen, there are so many elements of what is said right here in this verse that, that are so, that all of the elements are accurate, but it, it hearkens to the big bang. All right. Because, you know, they say there's this big bang that occurred. A big bang occurred millions and billions of years ago and, and something, matter, came into existence. Well, listen, we believe as children of God, we don't believe it was millions and millions of years ago. But we believe in a big bang. But the big bang was Christ. See, that, that is, there's so many things in modern um, science that hearken to the things of the Scripture. It's like they're shadows, but they haven't quite hit on the truth of it. But there is some element of truth to it. There was a big bang, and that big bang was Christ Jesus when He said, let these things come into existence. See, 
Now think about it. He says it, uh, if the worlds were framed, notice he says worlds, he doesn't just say the earth, but all of the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Well, y'all let me say this so, to help us understand. You're sitting here today. Do I have to convince you that you were made of some things that do not necessarily appear right now? Do I have to convince you of that? You know, there's some in academia that would say, no, I, I, I really don't exist. It's just not logical. I can't see what got me here, and so therefore I don't exist. That's silly, isn't it? Your very presence sitting here today is an evidence that you were made of substances that do not appear right now. Does that make sense? You're here. So you were made of something that is, is not appearing right in front of you right now, see? He's saying that the earth, in a very similar, greater fashion, the worlds that were framed, they were made of substances that do not appear now. It was made, you realize that God just took some eternity and he formed it and brought it into an, an instant reality, an earthly, timely reality. You were made of uh, this, this earth, this world, this universe was made of substances that God had at his disposal, you see? And he just brought it into view so that we could see it. You see how scientists and academia, secularism, they, they strain at that. They've got to have a reason. Now listen to me carefully. And I'm not mocking and being ugly or anything. But I encourage you. It's almost advantageous in some ways to, for children of God to read some of the stuff that the modern secular scientists are putting out. One in particular that comes to mind who wrote about a history of science and so forth. You know what his conclusion was? When it was all said and done, you know, they believe in the Big Bang millions and millions of years ago. Darwinism, you know, which is survival by tooth and claw. Do you know what the conclusion was? This is something now. And I am not mocking when I say this. The conclusion by this particular scientist was that aliens must have come here and, and started this. Isn't that something? You go read it for yourself. There's nothing to hide there. For all the arguments and all of the deductions and all of the logic, they come back and say, and it's not just this one. Stephen Hawking was the one, by the way. Uh, it's not just Stephen Hawking, but they say there must have been some outside influence that instigated life here on this earth. Y'all see how that's a shadow of the truth? We know there was an outside influence that instigated life on this earth, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's, the, it's Jesus that spoke the world into existence. It's the word that upholds the world by the strength of his power, by the word of his power. See, if you believe in creation this morning, child of God, you are in the great hall of faith. I like what Elder Ronald Lawrence said at one point. He said, if you can't get past Genesis 1 and 1, you know, you're going to have a problem with the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God. <laughs> See, there was a beginning and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, here's, here's what I want you to get out of this. It says, through faith, we understand. Faith is not some kind of a fairy tale-ish type wish. You see, faith is something that brings understanding to you. As you learn more about Christ and the body of Christ and the work of Christ and who He is to you and for you, and ultimately when you will be in His presence, if you pursue that, it will bring you understanding. 
It will put in perspective how we got here, the creation. It will put in perspective things that are going on around us. Are you confused? I challenge anyone here to identify anything in their mind at this moment that they are confused about. I promise you, based on the authority of the Word of God, that the answer lies in Christ Himself through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God. We understand through faith. You see, I can look at what's happening, what I see on TV or what I see here or there happening here or there. I can process that through the Scripture through God who is omnipotent and all-powerful, and I can understand through my faith. <laughs> you say, well, Brother Tim, you got it all figured out. That's not what I said. I didn't say I have it all figured out, but I can understand when the wicked began to uh, pr- go forward and promote their agenda, I can understand that there's an end to that. And the end is whenever the Lord comes and He says it's all over with. Eternity is back now in, in vogue. It's back in place, you see? It takes the place of timeliness. <laughs> See, I can process that. I may not understand what I need to do exactly for this particular child who comes before me whose life is destroyed. But I can process it through my faith and say, Oh Lord, You know this person. You know what's happened here. And one of these days, whenever You come back, it's all going to be over with. All those troubles will go away. Is that not Psalm 73 where David said that he looked upon the wicked and he saw all the prosperity of the wicked in the world and he couldn't even talk to his people about it because he was so overwhelmed and so upset. He couldn't say anything. He didn't even have an encouraging word. The sweet psalmist of Israel did not even have an encouraging word that he could say to the people because he was so overcome by the wickedness around him and how the wicked were prospering and they were gaining day by day and yet David said he was uh, vexed by that until he went into the house of the Lord, until Jesus Christ put it in perspective to him, for him, that he could see the end of that. You see, the wicked may prosper for a period of time, but it won't be forever. You see, the child of God, that is, those are statements of faith. If you struggle with creation, in many ways, you'd almost say for a child of God, that's almost a no-brainer. It puts you in the hall of faith if you believe it. Okay. I want to share with you a, one of my favorite quotes from Dr. S.M. Lockridge, who was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, California, for many years, 1953 to 1993. So I've used this quote before. I love this quote. He died in December 2000, and he spoke of creation. Yeah, I, if you've never heard Dr. Lockridge and some of his sermons, they're very, very good to hear. There's some of them are on the internet. You can listen to them. He's an African American preacher uh, from San Diego, California. And this is what he said about creation. He says, so where did God come from? He came from nowhere because there wasn't anywhere for him to come from. And coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing. And the reason he had to stand on nothing is there was nowhere for him to stand. And standing on nothing, he reached out to where there was nowhere and he caught something when there was nothing to catch and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. I love his descriptions of the power of God. And standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own will and he struck the anvil of his omnipotence and sparks flew and he caught them on the tips of his fingers, flung them out into space and bedecked the heavens with stars. (laughs) And nobody said a word. The reason nobody said anything, there wasn't anybody there to say anything. (laughs) So God himself said, that's good. Isn't that beautiful? It just gives me chills to think about the power of, God, of a God like that, of the God. And that God, make no mistake, that was Jesus Christ speaking there whenever He said it's good. See? Oh, child of God, your faith testifies to these things. 
Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. I've told you before, and I just can't get away from it, forgive me, but in Proverbs 8, it was like child's play for God to create the world. It's like Jesus was a... He wasn't a child. But it's like he was a, a little, like my son would be out there playing in the yard and say, Daddy, watch me. Watch me do this, Daddy. I'll create this. I'll create that. And the Lord say, that's good, son. That's good. It was child's play to create. You see, it should be child's play in our minds to understand that a God so powerful to, be, to overcome the grave, so powerful to be resurrected from the dead, could stand before eternity and before nothing and say, let there be something. You see? Oh, I want to tell you about that God. I love a God like that. He doesn't have to consult with anybody. He doesn't have to get permission from anybody. He doesn't have to say to any committee. He doesn't have to look to the angels and say, let me do this. Let me do that. What do you think? Let's take a vote. No, the Lord is the only vote and He always does it right. Oh, I love a God like that. I love the declaring to you because it makes you feel that you can trust Him. You see, you can trust this God. If He knew how to make all the stuff that you see around Him, if He knew how to save you from your sins, if He knows all of these things, and if He's all-powerful this very day in 2020, you can trust Him no matter what the earth sends our way, no matter what the world sends our way, no matter if it's coronavirus, no matter if it's rioting or lawlessness, no matter what it may be or economic collapse, I want you to know that you can trust this God. You can't trust Him. That's faith, child of God. If I've said anything here today that causes you to trust God a little bit more, then praise God. Give Him all the glory. See, that's all I want to do. Is to tell you, just in simply believing in creation, you're in that hall of faith. Well, i got to close. The first person you see. Listen to me now. Listen. Get this. You walk into the great hall of faith where it says, Faith is substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. The first picture you see hanging on the wall is a mirror. You see your reflection in that mirror. If you believe in creation, if you believe in the omnipotent creator God, that He created this world in six days. He created it from nothing because the substance of the things that He created this world with are not here around you. He reached into eternity to create those substances, to create the substance that you see around you. Your very existence here today is a proof of that analogy. You are here today because substances created you, if you will, and they're not right in front of your eyes right now. You see a mirror when you walk in. Does your mirror, does your mirror that you see in the great hall of faith, does it have a reflection or are you skeptical? I just don't know about that. If you believe in creation, you understand the worlds are framed by the Word of God. You believe in that powerful of God. But, you proceed on down just a little bit. And the next picture that you see is a fellow named Abel. By faith, Abel offered. And that's where we're going to stop today. By faith, Abel offered. My whole purpose, and I probably haven't done a very good job conveying it, is to help you see the, the utility of faith, the usefulness of faith in your life right now. Faith helps you understand things. And it may be creation. Yes, it helps you understand creation, but it also helps you comprehend and understand things that are going on around us. That's what faith does for you. So if there's anything that you're confused about, look to Jesus Christ. Look to the Word of God. Listen to the Spirit of God. God is not the author of confusion. See? 
And you'll be like David. You'll come back into the sanctuary and you'll be able to speak a good word and say, praise God. I know the end. (laughs) Paul said, the Lord will come and he will not tarry. He's coming. That's the ultimate end of your faith. And then you won't need it anymore. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in faith, believing that he's the answer, we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.